getting to worship with you guys. Such a special time. As I was kind of busy around this place, I noticed that we had some very special people worshiping Jesus in a special way today. And it was like every corner I went to, I could hear a kid worshiping Jesus. I'm just saying, parents, grandparents, whoever you are, keep up the great work. We've still got children in the room. I want to ask everybody for just one minute to sit down right where you are. I want to bring the lights up just a little bit so everybody can see in this room. It is a special day. First of all, because we are gathered together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's be honest, as followers of Christ, this should be every day for us. And not just one special day. Every day should be a special day in that. But we get to recognize a very special and unique group that is special, especially in the Huntsville, Madison, Limestone, Morgan area here. Because we have a number of veterans that are with us here in this room. So, <clears throat> I don't want to call you out in a way that would embarrass you, but I do want to celebrate and thank you this morning. And so, uh, in an attempt not to embarrass you, I probably will, but I don't mean to. But if you are a veteran of the United States uh, in our military services, if you would please stand for just a moment. If you are a veteran in the United States of America, if you would please stand up, if you would give these incredible human beings. If you'll stay standing. If you'll stay standing where you are, I just want to say thank you on behalf of people like me and everybody that's gathered around you because we still get to worship freely. And a huge part of that is the price that you've paid, being away from your family, getting injured, just the time, the effort, the heart that you have poured into this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know also we've got some that are watching online right now and they're in exactly those same shoes and they've paid that same price that you have. And we as the body at the Christ of Christ at the Grove, we say thank you so much. So I wanna pray for you I want to pray for us as we gather together, as you worship with us today as part of the body of Christ. So if everyone in this room would just close your eyes for a second, bow your heads. Father, what a privilege it is to live in a place where we get to worship you in such an incredible and free way. May we never take that for granted. Thank you for the men and women that are standing all across this room that maybe even are standing in their living rooms or in their bedrooms right now because they're unable to be here today, but they have served in this way. And God, we thank you for every second they took away from their family, for everything that it cost them mentally and physically, financially, whatever the case may be, for the sacrifice that they have made to serve. God, give them something special today, a closeness with you, the presence of you. And we celebrate you in this because you are our God. Lord, you take care of us in such an incredible way. Teach us in this place today. 
In the holy name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. You be seated. Thank you so much. Our children that are in the room, <clears throat> if you will head through those back doors, I know we've got even some that are brand new. I promise you they are in some of the best hands they could possibly be in, and they are not going to be just entertained. They're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in a clear way so they can get it and they can respond. We see kids come through these waters of baptism often, and it is because of ministries like Children's Church here at, at the Grove. So some of you will understand exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you will hear and get this really, really quickly. Um, one of the things that I did while I was in uh, high school, very early in high school, was uh, I, I decided that I was going to be a, uh, a lifeguard. Now, I will go ahead and tell you I never actually served as a lifeguard, but I went through all the training for it. I remember a guy named uh, Nate. Uh, I remember that uh, this about me, I was uh, six foot one and weighed about 145 pounds. And Nate was like, I don't remember, maybe six foot four and I don't know, 350, 400. He was a lot bigger man than me. And it was so intimidating. But he was gonna teach me not only how to make sure that I knew how to swim well, and protect myself and be able to get out of terrible situations. I remember, I, I think it was uh, a 10 minute, no, 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 what would it have been for swimming? Maybe it was 20 or more minutes that you had to tread water. It may have been more than that. Those of you who've done it since I have, you would know, but you had to tread water. It, it was a relatively short period of time, but it felt like seven days of treading water. You know what I'm talking about? And that wasn't the worst of it. This is what I remember the most. He said, we don't want to mess you up, but we want you to be able to save a life. I'm like, okay, pretty good swimmer. I can do that. And so I remember the, the, the person that they threw in the pool that I had to save was a person that wasn't even as big as I was. Matter of fact, it was a younger like child that was probably a hundred pound kid or something. And they said, okay, rescue him. But they had trained that person to do what a person does whenever you go to rescue somebody. And he fought me like a fool. And I, th I remember thinking, we're both going to die. We're, we are both going to die. Well, it was practice, so nobody died. But have you ever, have you ever tried to rescue somebody like that? Man, they just, they, they, they don't mean to. They're not trying to hurt you, but they're, they're choking you. They're hitting you. We had people that came out with bloody noses and stuff from this practice. If you've seen this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it teaches you that literally sometimes they teach you, sometimes you've got to hit them in the face to make them stop so that you can then rescue them and pull them to the side. Now, there's a real life thing that happens in our lives as human beings, especially as followers of Christ. Especially if we want to try to help somebody so that, well, when, they've, when, when a believer, when a follower of Christ has messed up in such a way and we go and we try to help them, so many times we get hurt in trying to help them. They're choking us out. They're slinging fists at us. When we go try to help them, how do we know that? Because at some point in our life, somebody's probably tried to rescue us and what did we do? Oh, yeah, you help me if you want to. I mean, you see, it's what we do. We, we fight back like that, and that's what happens. And so 
I want to talk about a subject that's a, a challenging one for us to talk about. And for those of you who were disappointed that I, I skipped two verses in the middle of James chapter 4, uh, we're going to hit those and then we're going to go to the very end of James chapter 5 because ironically the two work together. So get your Bibles out with me. James chapter 4, James chapter 5, it's really only four verses and it's a very odd title this morning. Don't rip them up, pick them up. Don't rip them up, pick them up. And, and I want you to keep in mind from the very beginning of this, we're talking about followers of Christ, people who know and follow Christ, trying to help those who know and have at least in the past followed Christ. But for whatever reason, they're not there now. Now you could be on either side of this fence. You could be the one that needs picking up or you could be the one that needs to do some picking up. But the one thing I'm confident of is that we don't need to be ripping them up. There's a way to do it and a right way to do it, and we tend to do it kind of the wrong way. This is a free one, but it's so important. I got to hang with some incredible people over the last couple of weekends, and it just reminded me how important mentors are, people that pour into other lives on purpose. Now, I can blame some of these that I saw over the last couple of weekends on fellow named Drew Hogan because man he knows how to pour into some lives and he didn't even know the story that I'm thinking in my head right now but it's because of him that some lives were changed in such an incredible way I know it still goes on today one of my favorite authors and writers in uh, in in the Christian world is uh, Dr. Chuck Swindoll and one of his mentors was one of his professors at Dallas Theological Seminary. His name's Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks shares this story that I want to share with you to kind of uh, get us where we're going here today. He tells the story of a young man who walked a long way off from the Lord, but was finally brought back by the help of a friend who truly loved him. He didn't rip him up. He picked him up. The man would eventually repent and he would, he would be completely restored eventually. Dr. Hendricks asked this Christian how it felt why he was, if you will, at sea, out at sea, out in the deep water, in deep trouble, and all of his friends on the shoreline hurling biblical accusations at him about justice and penalty and wrongdoing. You ever had that? Huh. It's weird that I'm the only one that's ever experienced that in this room. Here's what the man said. It seemed like I was being pulled farther and farther out to sea into deep water. And all my friends were standing on the shoreline hurling accusations at me about justice and condemn con condemnation and sin. But there was one Christian brother who actually swam out to get me and he would not let me go. Listen what he says. I fought him, but he withstood my fightings. He grasped me. He put a life jacket around me and managed to pull me to shore. By the grace of God, he was the single reason I was restored. The man refused to let me go. Now, you may not need that right now, 
But you sure sang awful loud about a song that talks exactly that just one song ago. The one who rescued you when you didn't deserve it. The one who would knock down a door to help you. The one who would fight all the words that are going against you. But he wouldn't let him go. What an incredible picture of living out the most important commandment that Jesus said. Matthew chapter 28, verse 37 and 38. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. And he says the second one is just like it. Matter of fact, he says it's equally important. But they have to go together to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And this is just one element of that. I mean, I want to be the person that loves people like that. Don't you? I mean... If you've experienced that where you were at such a low spot, you didn't have any idea what to do, but somebody came along your side and they helped you back up. Because I've had plenty of those that have come by and they stomped my hand and stomped me in the head. I've had plenty of those. And you have too. And this is a little different ball game that he's asking us to do. I want to be the person that won't let people go when they're messing up. But way too often, we're the guys on the shore ripping them to pieces with our words. James says it like this. James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you you criticize and you judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job, look at that, but your job is to obey the law. What's your job? Your job is to obey the law. Not rip others, but to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. You see what they've done? They've decided, okay, here's the law. Okay, I'm keeping this part. That's good. But they're not really paying attention to the part they're uncomfortable with. So they're throwing that part out. They're hypocrites in this. That's what's happened. That's what's coming out of this. Verse 12, he says, God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone is the, has the power to save or to destroy. So... What right do you have to judge your neighbor? Okay. I'm going to be 100% honest with you right here. I do not like to teach this passage. Because what do we hear through our society every single day? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. I just got to ask the question, is that what James is is that, is that what he's teaching here? He's clearly saying that God is the judge. He's clearly saying that, that, that we have a place, but being actually in the judgment seat is not ours. He is saying that. I, I get that. You can't realistically claim anything to the contrary of what he's saying here. However, there is a right way. There is a right time. There is a right demeanor. There are right words so that we speak with people that we have a relationship with and we lovingly point them back to Jesus, the one they follow. Now remember, in this whole thing, we're talking about believers. The ones that have messed up, they're believers. The ones who are criticizing, they're believers. The ones who are supposed to be helping back up, they're believers. That's who he's talking about. So, man, you couldn't talk about a message that's more relevant for the church today. This passage deals with the person who has 
if you will, malicious intent. They want to hurt them. They want to tear them down. They want to rip them up. It seems that they had a heart to hurt another person. And just, just keep thinking about it. It's believers talking to believers. It's followers hurting followers. It's the church hurting the church. And I'm saying, yikes. But we do that. It's why so many people don't want anything to do with the church because they've seen that. Just think about it, how that works. If we dig into the subject of judging others in the context of the entire word and not just here in James, when we go after another person in a self-serving way that is malicious, you just want to tear them down. You just want to, to cause them harm. And that's sin. To want to hurt another for the purpose of hurting another now i'm not saying that if you go in to help someone in a very loving way that it won't hurt because it will but that's not the goal that's not the purpose of this but the word also encourages wise righteous discernment that enables others to see their problems and has the intent to help them get back on track with the lord and as soon as possible in the best way possible we ought to we ought to know our friends well enough to be aware that our friends are messing up. We should. We should love people like that enough. That means at some point we're going to have to, I don't know, shut up and listen rather than talk so much. And that's going to be a big part of this that we have to do that to realize when our friends are messing up. It also is going to take some, uh, some vulnerability because it's also going to be us admitting that we are messing up. Which includes accountability, which nobody likes to talk about accountability. But that's exactly what this yields back to. But seeing that something is sin and judging it are two very different things. Listen, James does not prohibit Christians from confronting those who have strayed from the faith. The followers who quit following. That, he, he's not condemning that. Rather, he's warning believers who are maliciously ripping on others. That's what he's talking about his warning is that we are critical without any concern for what's going on in their lives we put ourselves in God's judgment seat and we will never ever be worthy of that seat in the last part of verse 11 there it says and I call this a uh, like a, a Jamesistic type comment that he makes there he says um the and, and this is this paraphrasing this don't just know what the word says don't just know what the law says, live it. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 8 and verse 7. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and he said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Just don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget that you have blown it over and over and over again. Jesus dealt with this subject in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 4. He said, don't judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck? in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own 
How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? I love how practical Jesus makes this. He's not talking about having to put your magnifying glasses on in order to see what's in their eyes. He's talking about you can't see because you got a cotton picking log in your eye and you can't see anything coming out of your, you can't, you can't judge it rightly because you're so messed up yourself. But what about those times when a Christian friend strays from the Lord? What do we do? Shouldn't we at least attempt to rescue them whose faith is, is as if the, the man that, that, that Howard Hendricks was talking about, that their faith is in a shipwreck. It's like barely floating there. It's turned all the way over and they're sitting on top. They just need to be rescued and they have no way of getting rescued. But you see it and you're like, huh, don't have, don't, no, don't have time for that. That's going to be messy. I'm going to get wet. I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to cost me money. Somebody will, might, might, might mess up my reputation. Don't we help? Or do we let them drown? I think Jesus helps us answer that question in Matthew's passage. According to Jesus, there is, a, there is a place for taking specks out of Christians' eyes. But remember, there are a few places in our bodies that are as sensitive to touch as the eye. You know it. All we got to do is get close to it, and we're blinking. And just removing something from the physical eye requires extreme, us to be sensitive, careful. And when we attempt to remove the spiritual speck from a friend's eye, we've got to handle it with care. So Jesus is not giving a pass to those who feel called to be critics and critical. We don't need those in the body of Christ. He's welcoming the help of those who are willing to have their own spiritual eyes cleared before the rescue of others ever begins. So I've given you three things on your outline. Let's go real quick, but I want you to see how these work. The first one is actually a question for you. Do you have the dedication to rescue the people you love? Do we have the dedication to rescue the people that we love? Do we care enough? Are we willing to put ourselves out there like that? How, how do we help a friend who's totally messing up in his walk with Christ? And even bring them back. How do we do that without ripping on them? How do we do that? This is the, the last thing that James wrote in, uh, in his letter to us. He wrote five chapters. This is the very last thing that's recorded. It, it's important. I mean, the, the last thing we said is, is usually a big deal. Okay, I hope that you've got plans. And I'm not saying you're going anytime soon. But man, if there's a statement that you won't make, that's the one that you want on your tombstone. It's the last statement you're going to make. Don't make somebody else make that statement for you. You make that statement because it's a big deal. And this was a big deal to James, the last thing he was saying. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 says this, My dear brothers and sisters. Remember, he's still talking to the, to the flock. He's still talking to the body of Christ. If anyone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from the wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of of many sins you see what happens when we handle this in the right way something beautiful can happen something amazing that we would never expect even attempting to rescue another believer can be well you know it it can be messy it can be exhausting will they ever will they ever come around it, it can be 
heartbreaking because they may not. It can be so personal. It can be the person you're married to. And I'm telling you, that's not an easy place to go to. You know that. How could it be? It could be a kid in your house or it could be a parent. It could be your parents as people that are my age and beyond. And you've still got parents and it could be your parent. It could be a messy, hard, difficult thing you don't want to do. What is the right way to get the splinter out of your friend's eye, though? How do we do that in a way so that we don't cause more damage? I see four really important questions to jump in. This is not on your own. It's just stuff that we need to be aware of. We need to ask these questions here. You've got to know who you're dealing with. And that means you've got to have a relationship. You've got to know them. You've got you to have some idea of who they are. Who is James talking to? He's talking to another believer. And you have to talk to them like that. Like you, you realize who they are in Christ, even though they are a long ways off. He's not talking to people that don't know him. He uses my brothers, my fellow believers among you. We are among one another. It would be just like us in this room. So he's talking to believers who are messing up. So guess what? There are believers that mess up and there are believers in this room that mess up. There are believers on this stage right here that mess up. So we mess up and we can't fix those who've not been affected by the Savior. Matter of fact, we can't fix them anyway. It's going to take the Holy Spirit of God to convict and to begin to move things back in the right direction. And there'll be an ebb and flow in this area so that you, you lovingly speak into someone's life and then sometimes you have to back off. Give the Holy Spirit room to speak into their lives. Just make sure you speak the truth in love. So what has happened to these people that have caused James to approach this subject? Well, clearly, at least one of them has chosen to walk in sin for a season. Now, making such a big deal out of it like he did, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with it must have been several. There must have been more than one that was dealing with this. I see this, the, the word used for, for, for truth here insinuates everything we know in the word. So they've walked away from the truth. They've, they haven't just walked away from one thing, but they've, they've kind of abandoned it all. Like they've forgotten who they are and where they come from. And man, this can be so delicate and you've done this and you know what I'm talking about. You've tried to love people this way. This is where you need to pray for wisdom. Remember James chapter 1, backing all the way up. James chapter 1 and verse 5 said, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should pray and ask the Lord. And he will willingly give what we ask in that moment. <laughs> How do we even approach removing the speck from a brother's eye without wisdom? You know this, those of you who have followed Christ for a few weeks or for a few years or for, millenn for huh, millennia. Uh, I don't know, for a long time. <laughs> I don't think you're that old. When Christians willfully stray from the truth, James says that we must bring sinners back. 
That's the implication that's given there, that that, that's just part of who we are. It's it's part of the the job. Because he also implies that not everybody's going to do this, but, but it's something that we should do. Meaning that with any Christian with clear eyes, not just... Not just church leaders. This is not just Roger's job and Sarah's job and Drew's job and Sarah's, uh, Jessica's job and my job. It's not just our, our deacon's jobs. It's not, this, is, this is us as believers. This is no titles. It's everyone who's following Christ that we would help bring sinners back. It means we turn them in the opposite direction of where they're currently going. It's an act of repentance that has to happen back to Jesus Here's what we do. We So often we just ignore them. So often we just say, well, I'm not going to say anything, but I'm going to pray for them. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying so many times God has a place for you in this. He put them on your heart for a reason. And maybe you're the hands, the feet, the mouth, the, the right kind of love with the right kinds of words and for the right reason. And like the story from Dr. Hendricks, don't criticize them from a distance. As they did to this young Christian, swim out after them. Don't let them go love them that much. And I'm just telling you, if I'm ever in that spot, go after me. Hurt my feelings. Catch my attention. I don't care what it takes. Chuck Swindoll said this about This passage in in dealing with the heart of the believer, he said this. He said, the Bible targets self-serving, malicious judgment while actually encouraging wise, righteous discernment. Do you see what's supposed to happen there? With the wisdom that God gives us, we approach this. With With the words that he gives us, he shows us the steps, the timing, the everything in this. So, number two is this. Check your motivation. Why? Why are you doing this? Why, why are you offering this help? Why are you reaching out in this way? What kind, of, what kind of attitude do you need before you'll help a friend? Paul approaches this in Galatians chapter 6. There's a huge difference between confrontation for the purpose of picking somebody up and condemnation for the purpose of ripping them up. There's a very different purpose there. It, it, it's, it's like when we choose to help people, we choose to pick them up. We have to make sure there's no logs that are like hanging out of our eyes before we go and we purposely try to help them. What's our attitude? Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul says this, Dear brothers and sisters, if, any, if another Christian is overcome by sin, you who are godly, I mean, you're walking it presently. You who are godly should gently and humbly help them, help that person back into the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. That's why you got to be godly because you'll be right there with them if they're already in a bad place. They will follow right along or you'll follow right, right, right beside them right there. So you who are godly, not perfect, but sincerely walking with, with Jesus. He says gently and humbly help them back. And that will only happen if the Holy Spirit of God is controlling what's going on in you. It's the only way that it works. So to qualify for helping to restore others to truth, we must be filled with the Spirit of God, not controlled by the flesh. We have to be walking that way. We must seek the Spirit's help by removing the log in our own eye and 
letting others help that happen so that we can then help others. And he tells us that we not only have to do that, but we have to be gentle. Paul says gentleness is mandatory. It's the way we do it. Sometimes it's the when we do it. Sometimes it's the where we do it. And if you go in there, guns are blazing. I can tell you where they're going to go. They're going to go running. If not, they're going to clam up. They're going to listen to a word that you're saying if you go in that way. Another thing he says, you've got to be humble. <laughs> Don't go in there like you ain't never messed up before because you have. And it's okay. You're not trying to air out dirty laundry. You're just saying, I understand. I've walked a similar road. Humility is mandatory. Helping people that have fallen is never fun. It's never easy. I, I don't usually look forward to going into those situations, but I sure do like seeing the other side of it when God has done healing in such a way. Humble people know they don't have the power in themselves to bring that person back from the shore where they're drowning safely. But because of God's love for them, we humbly go where he leads and then we let him do what he's got to do. The last thing here, loving people like this can lead to a great celebration. So th think about it. With the right motivation, we get to see a celebration. Not something we did, but something that Christ has done. What are the potential results of our willingness to help? You turn one back, and it's one at a time. What happens when they are restored? If you, if you turn them back to Jesus, when you bring them back to him, just never forget it's him. It's his Holy Spirit that has to happen in them. It's his work. Uh, the, the end of that passage in and James chapter 5 says, you will save that person from death and you will bring about the forgiveness of many sins. When I read that, the first question that comes to mind, how, how do I save them from death? Well, think of the reality. This reality is, is you're, you're not the one that's saving them from this. It's Christ in you who's doing the work. It is him working in them that is doing the work. You, here's what happens though. You keep them from the earned wages of their sins, which is death that's what he's talking about here the, the word death could mean that if the individual were not turned back to the lord that he might die under the lord's discipline you know why because the lord disciplines those that he loves and sometimes when we're not going to turn back guess what's going to happen i mean really it happens but more likely and i think most theologians agree on this the word death here is a little bit more of a metaphorical type of word in this. You save them from death. Here, here's, what, here's what I see. That's what the context means. It's, it's, it's what the inclination of this word death means here. When we turn straying believers back to the Lord, we rescue their souls from a, if you will, a death-like existence here on this earth. Uh, loneliness without purpose, uh, bitterness, anguish, guilt, it's all of that. You will bring about the forgiveness of many sins. The 
Christian Standard Bible says that you will cover a multitude of sins. By bringing them back to her. This is such a big deal for this person. For It's also a big deal for the reputation of the, the church of Christ. Christ's church, it's a big deal about it. If they are drowning in sin, where will it keep going? I mean, when you're drowning in sin, where does it go? Does it just automatically take a U-turn and start going in another better direction? Or when you're drowning in sin, or do you realize what I've realized when I'm drowning in sin? It goes a little deeper. You have to lie about it a little more. You're like, well, I'm already there. It's a lie from Satan, but it's where we go. It's deeper. It's more and more sin. And they'll just keep making a bigger and bigger mess of their lives. I read about one guy, and you may have read about him too, in Scripture, whose dad was really well off and he decided he wanted all of his inheritance at one time and the son messed up so bad that it got so bad he ended up eating pig slop before he ever realized what he'd lost that's the prodigal son that's who this person is that's who this person is that we're going after it's who we are maybe even right now but there's another side this person is living in sin and not following Jesus so his selfish actions are not only hurting his reputation, but they're hurting the reputation of Christ's church. So we lovingly bring them back. When someone is brought back into the body of Christ, into the fold of Christ through confession and repentance, Christ's forgiveness completely covers that person like this one who gets lost. Father, help us to love other believers enough to do everything we can in your power to bring them back to you. Because there's a really, really, really good chance that we're going to need that kind of love one day too. Help us to be gentle and humble to make sure our motivation is right to make sure that we're not walking in sin as we walk in to help them help us as a body of as a, as a church not just the grove but your body the body of christ in this world to stop ripping on people but to pick them up help them get on their way with you again we need you desperately in this in jesus name